This is the Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. The Political Insider is your inside source on politics from the White House to the State House and all points in between. If it's in the headlines, the Political Insider will have the story. Let's get started. Here's Bill Ballinger. Welcome, weekend political warriors. The biggest story in Michigan this week politically is really a local politics story. Longtime Oakland County Executive L. Brooks Patterson died two weeks ago. His funeral was Thursday, attended by over 600 from uh, everything I gather. It was a long service, I think two and a half hours, a lot of tributes. Uh, former Governor John Engler was there. And also our guest today, former state representative Chuck Moss. And Chuck Moss not only was at the funeral, but he's been following closely uh, all the hijinks that have been going on in Oakland County in the battle to succeed uh, L. Brooks Patterson uh, by appointment or in a special election. We really don't know. Uh, We're going to ask Chuck Moss. Welcome to the program, Chuck Moss. Thanks. Good to good to be here. I, I was there yesterday, and I'm I'm here at the county commissioner's auditorium this morning to watch the hijinks and shenanigans. Okay, what's the latest? Because something changes about every five minutes in this scenario. Uh, okay, uh, the latest is that the f- former commissioner and former chair David Woodward, who was one candidate for the uh, county executive's position, uh, uh, has apparently rescinded his resignation. And showed up today and is now chairing the meeting, and that's uh, that's a surprise. Well, I think we saw this coming because he announced he was going to try and withdraw his uh, resignation, and there's some question whether legally he can do that. The Republicans don't think he can. Uh, this could be contested, maybe in court, but right now, oh I, think it, oh, I think it will be contested in court. I have no doubt it will be. Um, this this whole thing has been just a complete uh, complete go rodeo. It's been total total mess up. Uh, you know, the, the, you've got two people: uh, the treasurer Andy Meisner, the chairman David Woodward. They don't like each other. They each want the top job. Uh, with Michael Bouchard not running, I said he isn't going to run. Then you've uh, there, there's no real Republican of that equal stature. So David Woodward wanted to get a leg up. Uh, he had kind of a coup and it failed. And now they're uh, trying to pick up the pieces. Well, is there some possibility that as part of David Woodward's uh, rescinding of his resignation that he said, I am not any longer a candidate to be appointed county executive for the remainder of Brooks Patterson's term? Is that still holding or? Uh, Well, it's, it's holding as of the moment, but of course he plans to run in the election next year. There are a lot of people who think, the, let's just put an end to all this nonsense. Put the uh, Brooks's number two, Jerry Poison, let him serve out the remainder of Brooks's term, uh, save the money so no special election, no more hijinks, and just you know fight it out in next year's election year. Well, certainly the Republicans would like that, but uh, there are only 10 members, and if David Woodward is the 11th Democrat, would they agree to that? Probably not. I mean, they they would uh, well, they would agree to. Uh, I think they would agree to um, having Jerry Poison. Uh, Jerry would would be an awesome choice to just you know keep keep things going, and keep the Patterson legacy going, which has been pretty positive compared to what we've seen the last few days. Uh, but I do, uh, you know, the Democrats. Uh, you know, uh, the question is whether they can legally uh, have eleven members now, 
and whether anything now is going to be taken to court. Uh, it is, as he said, it's been a complete, uh, complete uh, mess up. But in other words, you think that there are 11 Democrats, uh, at least one or two of them, who would side with Republicans and let Poisson be the one who fills out the remainder of the term. You think that could happen. If it doesn't happen, the Democrats are going to have to decide on somebody else. It, well, uh, I, I see here now that I don't know whether this is any, has any meaning. Dave Coulter, the former county commissioner and current um, mayor of Ferndale, who's also a candidate for state representative, uh, is here. And there's rumor that they would uh, agree upon him as a compromise candidate. So it's all just unfolding as we speak. And, of course, they've only got 30 days um, from the time of Brooks Patterson's death, I think, to get this done. And if they don't, there's got to be a special election, right? Exactly so. You're right. And and that's that's 30 days minus two weeks, basically. Right. So, yeah, they've got to get it going or it triggers a special election. Absolutely. And the the special election would cost like what? They're estimating $750,000? Oh, minimum, minimum. Yeah. And that's only to serve out the, the unexpired term. So, uh, you know, I, I don't I look, I I, uh, I lost five bucks betting that David Woodward would be appointed today. So <laughs> I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm now uh, I'm now completely uh, my, my crystal ball is cloudy. But I'm telling you right now that it is unfolding, like you say, as you speak. Well, are there any other possibilities beside Dave Coulter? Because that's a late blooming name. I mean, he hasn't extremely. Been, yeah. Well, he, he's here. I can't, and I've heard that rumor, and I can't imagine what else would bring him here, instead of out knocking doors for his state rep seat. So, um, I have not heard. Uh, the only stuff I've heard is that Miser and Woodward have retired to their corners to go fight it out in the election next year. And. Um, uh, and then I see Dave Coulter here. Jerry Poison is always, of course, a, a safe pick. But your guess is as good as mine in the next, you know, <laughs> next hour. How long do you think this meeting is likely to last? Like literally all day? Uh, possibly. There's lots and lots of people have shown up that want to uh, go talk about how what a what a scam it is or whatever. And they got three minutes per. And so if there's at least you know the ten of them, that's a half hour. And if there's twenty of them, that's another hour. But I'm looking at the crowd, and I don't, you know, I, everybody's going to get it off their chest. I think the Democrats have figured out a plan. I think they're executing it. Uh, whether it will hold up in court, uh, I don't know. But they do seem to be uh, kind of disciplined in holding to a plan. Well, that'll be a first. <laughs> <laughs> well, it hasn't worked so far. Well, you know, uh, is, is there a deal cut? Uh, I, I don't know. I, you know, I keep hearing rumors and the rumors and then the next counter rumors. So, uh, uh, I, I, the Republicans also seem, for once, uh, you know, they also seem very, very united. Uh, but, uh, you know, is the 11th vote going to count? What about? Uh, I don't know, but what about? I'm sorry. I was just going to say, what about former Representative Vicki Barnett of Farmington Hills? Wasn't she also mentioned as a possible Democratic pick? Uh, she uh, walked in about 20 minutes ago into the meeting. So, you know, the gang's all here. You can make a movie <laughs> about this. Well, you know, uh, Representative Moss, um, there were 21 people who applied for this job, and that was winnowed down to five who were supposedly interviewed this week by a three-member commissioner committee. What's happened to those people? All of a sudden, these names ah, like Barnett yes. well, the, and Colter. The, the committee reported. The committee. The committee reported, and they said they don't like any of them. They're not going to recommend any of them. 
Wow. So right now it's like a clean slate as far as whatever majority can be marshaled behind one person, whoever that might be, whether it's Coulter or Barnett or uh, Poisson, uh, somebody else. Uh-huh. Uh, it, it is, it is uh, you know, it, it, yeah, that is, that is it. It's, uh, who the Democratic caucus at the moment can support is, is who's going to get it. The question whether that will hold up in court is another matter. Uh, you know, I, I see David Woodward seems to be, or excuse me, Dave Coulter seems to be uh, talking more closely with people, so it might be him. Uh, this is all Kremlinology. I mean, I'm just looking at the wall, seeing who's standing up, uh, you know, who's standing close to who to figure out who's who. How many people do you think are there all together? Uh, in the room? Yeah. Uh, I'm notoriously bad at that, but I'm going to say, I'm going to say maybe 50. Maybe 50, including the commissioners themselves. Oh no, there's 21 commissioners, so I'm going to have. To, okay, I'll say I'll say closer to 75. Then. Okay, well, uh, at this point, do you think there's a feeling among either the Democrats or the Republicans that it's better to appoint somebody and whoever it might be rather than have a special election, or is there a sentiment out in there that we ought to have a special election? I don't think anybody is, well, I don't think anybody is looking forward to a special election at this point. Okay. Well, listen, that is a great up-to-date analysis of what's going on. We really appreciate it, Representative, former Representative Chuck Moss, maybe future uh, county commissioner. He was once a county commissioner before he was a representative. He's everywhere. Thank you very much, Chuck Moss. Thank you. This is MTN, and you're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. Here's Bill. We have returned on the same subject, L. Brooks Patterson, who is going to be his successor as Oakland County Executive. Uh, there was a meeting on Friday uh, to determine a course forward, if that is possible at this point. And I've got on the other line, uh, Representative Kathy Crawford, a Republican of Novi, a state representative uh, in her third term and a former county commissioner, I believe. Um, and uh, Kathy Crawford, I'd like to welcome you to the Political Insider. Well, thanks, Bill. Happy to be here. Well, look, turbulent times down there in Oakland County. Uh, <laughs> I've, ne- I've never seen so many twists and turns. Uh, how do you think we ended up in this place, and what do you think is most likely to happen going forward? Is there going to be an appointed county executive, or uh, is there going to be a special election? Um, And will whatever happens be challenged in court? Because as I understand it, uh, former commissioner uh, David Woodward, who resigned two weeks ago so that he could seek appointment as the county executive on an interim basis through the end of next year, rescinded or withdrew his resignation and assumed the chairmanship of the board at the hearing in the Oakland County Courthouse uh, Friday morning. And going forward, uh, it's unclear at this point uh, what's going to happen. What do you think? Well, to me, it's beyond disappointing. It's almost to the. It's almost disgusting to me. I, this, you know, we had we had a smooth 
succession plan uh, already in place. I think Brooks has put that in place years ago. Um, and, and there is absolutely no reason why this has to be done so quickly and in such a hurry. I just think, um, you know, the people that are on the commission, uh, you know, and the chairman now, I think are just so giddy and anxious to grab the power that they have just sort of gone. They've created chaos that's unnecessary for sure. You think you, know, you think that Brooks Patterson uh, just assumed or wanted or put in place uh, that Jerry Poisson, the um, deputy county executive, would be able to uh, pick up the gauntlet uh, with the death of Brooks Patterson and continue through the end of next year and that everybody would accept that? Is that what he wanted, do you think? <laughs> well, I'm sure that's what he wanted, but Brooks being the cons- consummate politician that he was, um, he knew, I'm sure, that he was confident that once he was gone, there was going to be some challenge and some chaos created. You know, I think he had hoped that his, you know, this great team that he had in place for decades, who've been really um, actually running the county very smoothly, you know, whenever he was gone, when he had his accident and other times, you know, they have run this county um, very successfully for decades. And Brooks was the kind of leader, he was kind of the kind of leader that would, would appoint the best people for the job, and he was really good at that. He would appoint the best people, and then he would step back and let them do their job. So he's surrounded by deputies that really uh, are the best of the best. And so um, they could certainly keep, keep us more than afloat, yeah. sure, until well, an election, and that's that's what I think he was really hoping we'd get to an election. I think that was his, that was the ideal situation. And he actually had hoped he would be there too. Well, of so, course, of know. course, for years and years and years, decades, the Republicans controlled the board of commissioners. So everything yeah. you say was uh, yeah. something that he could have uh, not only hoped for, but maybe been fairly certain about. But yeah. he had to know that as of last November, when the Democrats seized control of the board by an 11 yes. to 10 margin, that probably wasn't what was going to happen. And yeah. I guess my real question uh, right now is, first of all, uh, can David Woodward uh, successfully – uh, rescind or withdraw his resignation from the board, which is what he's done. Uh, you were a, a commissioner at one time yourself. What do you think? Sure, the Democrats are, yeah. are claiming, and, and David Woodward is claiming, uh, relying on an old uh, Attorney General Frank Kelly uh, opinion from years ago, <laughs> that if the board does not accept a resignation, it really isn't a resignation. <laughs> And yeah. that, and since the board did not formally accept David Woodward's resignation, I don't know whether that's by accident or design. He is yeah. now saying, uh, "I am legally able to rescind or withdraw my resignation. I can go back on the board." Uh, the Democrats have their eleven to ten majority restored. He's also said he is no longer a candidate himself for the interim appointment uh, as county executive that would run through the end of next year, uh, whether, you know, that is in fact going to prove to be true or (laughs) whether uh, somebody else, uh, Dave Coulter, uh, has been mentioned uh, as somebody at the last minute who could be appointed by the Democrats uh, with their majority. 
if all 11 of them hang together, including Woodward, but there's sure to be a legal challenge against yeah. whether Woodward should even be there. And if he's not there and it's 10-10, then there is no majority uh, on the Board of Commissioners for anybody at this point, right? Exactly, exactly. So, I, you know, I can't, I can't believe all these shenanigans that are going on. I can't imagine what's going through Woodward's mind. You know, I think he thinks there's a loophole because the commission didn't actually receive, you know, publicly receive his resignation. The meeting hadn't happened yet, so that maybe that's a way for him to get back on so that they would have the one-person majority. Um, I, I just, you know, I'm hoping this will be legally challenged for sure. Because, um, you know, it's kind of, you know, and Marsha Gershenson is chairman. Does he think he's going to step back in then and be chairman? I, it's just, it's remarkable how this has taken place. And right at the time that Brooks's service is taking place, I mean, oh, my goodness, you know, right at the same week and everything. It's crazy. Let me, let me ask you this. Uh, was there any formal meeting of the Board of Commissioners at which they might have officially accepted Dave Woodward's resignation between the time that Woodward filed his resignation letter uh, earlier this month, uh, nearly two weeks ago, and to and Friday of this week. Was there any meeting at all when they could have done this in a formal not, session? Not to my knowledge, not to my knowledge, but that, you know, I didn't follow it really close, so I'm not really sure. You know, and I think, uh, I, you know, we have a great legal department at the county, and I don't know if they're going to be involved in this or there's going to be some other challenge um, brought about by maybe the Republicans on the commission. I, I don't know. I, I'm, I don't know if there was another meeting. I have not seen anything publicized that there's a meeting, an official call to, for a meeting uh, where they accepted his resignation. Uh, but his letter was submitted, um, and that, you know, that should speak for itself. But yeah. I guess the loophole is... The commission would have had to meet and actually receive, publicly receive the letter. I got you. And I don't know if that actually happened. I don't know. I got you. Well, listen, we're out of time. I wish we could go on talk about this longer. But you know what? This is a rolling story, and I think we're going to revisit it maybe even as early as next week. Two weeks from now, September 2nd is the deadline. by which they've got to make an appointment, the commissioners, or there's going to be a special election. Yeah, I'm open. I'm keeping my fingers crossed for the election. Thank you very much, Representative Kathy Crawford of Novi. We'll be back in a minute. You're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. We have returned with a completely different subject. Um, We have got a guest here on the line, um, Representative Julie Alexander of Jackson County. Representative Alexander, welcome to the Political Insider. Well, good morning. Thank you, Bill. Thank you for having me. Yeah, Tell us uh, what your district is. Is it it part of the city of Jackson, all of it, and some surrounding townships? I have the city of Jackson and eight surrounding townships, so it's a nice mix. And you are chair, right, of the uh, House Agriculture Committee? Yes, sir. Okay. Um, Well, um, as I understand it, um, there was a gathering out at uh, Michigan State University this week 
uh, in the uh, MSU Pavilion in East Lansing. And uh, you and I think Senator Kevin Daly uh, presided over a meeting um, to gather information from the agricultural community, farmers throughout the state, and you focused on uh, what's happened this year, historic rainfall, flash flooding, excessive snow, tornadoes, extreme cold, the China trade war, and how they have negatively impacted Michigan farmers, and every uh, resident is going to feel the impact sooner or later. Is that kind of what it was all about, and what did you hear? That, that was a great summary, Bill, exactly. So Senator Kevin Daly and I held a joint agriculture meeting, and it's come to my attention. It's been quite some time that that in itself has even been done. Um, but we both felt it was very important that we heard the farmer's story, that all of the legislators sitting on the Ag Committee understood the situation with the very, very wet spring, but also uh, not just the current conditions, but what that might mean in the future. Um, until crops are harvested in the fall, we really don't know what that impact will be. Uh, we don't know what the yield will be of, the, of those crops being grown, but we know these are definitely challenging times. So it was important to both Senator Daly and myself that we convene these two committees and, and listen to the uh, stakeholders and the farmers. Now, Representative Alexander, um, I understand that the uh, U.S. Department of Agriculture, the USDA, uh, recently reported that farmers across the country this year were unable to plant more than 19.4 million acres, and that's the highest number since 2007, which was the first year they ever did such a report. And from what I understand it, you guys out at this hearing uh, heard that here in Michigan, um, 17.3% of Michigan farmland was not planted this year compared to the national average of 7%. So bad as it's been nationally, it's been even worse here in Michigan. What about that? Exactly. So we need to be looking at our, our the Michigan data, the numbers of acres planted and or not, uh, but it is a significant nationwide situation. Uh, when you look at the Corn Belt growing areas, uh, many states have been affected, and that ultimately will affect all of us in the country. But back to the Michigan numbers, we can talk about the number of acres that have been planted, and that there's value in that, but many of those acres were simply planted so late so if you were a farmer uh, planting corn and you needed that corn to feed your dairy herd or your beef cows, the likelihood that that, that corn crop would not come to full maturity with possibly even the ear being developed, that impacts the nutritionist value, the nutrition value to that commodity that you need to feed your cattle. And that ultimately will play an impact on milk production, uh, could potentially mean farmers are going to have to buy additional product uh, feed for their cattle, which is another added expense uh, to an already stressed market. So there were so many pieces, uh, so many pieces of uncertainty in our conversation. But again, the important piece is that we were having the conversation to better understand what the challenges are right now and what they potentially could be in the future. You know, Representative Alexander, I was traveling in the thumb area of Michigan, like, you know, Sanilac, Lapeer, St. Clair counties, um, 
couple of weeks ago, and I noticed that the uh, corn crop appeared like stunted. You know, it's like only half as big as you would expect it to be right now because probably of this late planting. So I think farmers must be hoping and praying for a late frost this year, right? That, that, so, is, a, that is another comment we often heard. And then quite often, Bill, the farmers that were able to get on the farm, uh, on the fields to plant the crops, what they discovered is they they uh, entered onto those fields in very wet conditions, which normally they wouldn't, and that uh, causes compaction and uh, reduces the yield as well. So that was um, a, a, another piece to be acknowledged. The one last thing that I think is important when we look at Michigan, Michigan raises and grows over 300 different commodities with an economic impact of $104.7 billion. So when we talk about corn or we're talking about wheat or we're talking about soybeans or we're talking about sugar beets, whatever it may be that that farmer is growing, again, over 300 commodities raised and grown, each commodity has its uniqueness. And so it's, uh, you know, the cherry farmers are having significant challenges right now, asparagus, so each commodity has that uniqueness to it, uh, and, and again, that's why we met and had that conversation so that at least these issues are on the radar of all of the legislators and simply to elevate the conversation amongst uh, the state and all stakeholders. You know, Representative Alexander, uh, Michigan voters last November approved recreational marijuana in Michigan, and I guess I'd ask, was there any discussion uh, at your conclave at Michigan State University this week about what Michigan is doing to be on the cutting edge of hemp, hemp crops. That, that, that's an excellent point. And uh, I actually, I'm at a meeting right now, and that is on the agenda to discuss. I plan on meeting with our new director that uh, will be handling industrial hemp at our state level. I'm meeting with her next week. We need to be prepared for, at the federal level, for them to come out with the regulations protocol that we can then uh, create our own regulations at the state level. But one of the most common reasons people call my office um, as the House Ag Chair is to talk about industrial hemp. A lot of uncertainty there as well. So we definitely need to be moving forward because diversity uh, diversification in crops that we grow will add to the financial success and stability of any farmer. So we want to make sure if raising industrial hemp, and again, the difference between industrial hemp and regular marijuana is the THC level. So with under uh, 0.3% for a THC level for industrial hemp, making sure that we put those safety precautions in, in place and uh, moving forward as quickly as we can in Michigan to provide additional options for farmers. What about the impact of tariffs uh, in this ongoing uh, trade dispute with China that President Trump is trying to leverage? Uh, Was there a lot of discussion about that uh, and the impact it may have had on Michigan farmers be having already? It did come up because uh, we had USDA presenting talking about farm programs that are available at the federal level. It did come up in conversation. Uh, It wasn't necessarily uh, a major focus of the conversation, but it did come up and, uh, you know, we we realized farmers are simply asking for a level playing field. They want what's fair. And what we have right now is simply an unfair trade situation. So we look forward to the government. 
President Trump resolving those issues. So, again, we can have a level playing field in fair trade. You think uh, farmers are willing to absorb a little short-term pain in return for a long-term benefit? Well, you know, Bill, I'm a farmer. My husband and I farm 1,500 acres in Jackson County. We talk to a lot of farmers every single day. We're out talking to, you know, our neighbors. They're communicating with them. And by far, the sense I get is we understand why this is happening. It's it's time we uh, put the right pieces in place. Um, President Trump is uh, more than willing and capable of doing that. And uh, we are willing to uh, hold out uh, until those issues can be resolved. Thank you so much, Representative Julie Alexander. I wish we had more time, but you've done a great job analyzing and uh, reporting to us what happened at this hearing that the legislature held at Michigan State University. Thank you, Representative Julie Alexander of Jackson County. Thank you, Bill. You're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. We are back, and we have another very special guest, uh, Senator Roger Victory of, uh, I think it's Kent County. Maybe it's Ottawa County. I'm going to let him describe his district. Go ahead, Senator well, Roger Well, yes. Nope, uh, it is Ottawa County. So it's uh, uh, the Senate District of the 30th, and it includes the entirety of Ottawa County, and that's uh, what the district is. So uh, in the past, it did have some of Kent County, but with the growth of Ottawa County and increased population, uh, Ottawa County has its own Senate District. Right, and Senator Victory's in his first year in the Michigan Senate, but before that he was a state representative. And uh, right now, as I understand it, you are chair of the regular Agriculture Policy Committee in the Senate, and, or excuse me, you're the vice chair of that, and you are, what, correct. the chair of the Appropriations Subcommittee on Agriculture. Is that correct? You are totally correct on that. Yes, so I have a, a foot in both the appropriation side and a foot in the uh, policy side. So right. Great opportunity to have a voice in both concerns. Well, this week, uh, you were out at Michigan State University in the Agriculture Pavilion where there was a hearing that was held by the Senate uh, Agriculture and the House Agriculture Committee. Mm -hmm. I think uh, the co-chairs of that particular hearing were Representative Julie Alexander of Jackson County and um, Senator Kevin Daly of Lapeer County, but you were there, and uh, I'd just like you to tell us what you heard. I, I understand that, you know, this year has been a tough year on Michigan farmers. I mean, severe snow, catastrophic cold, historic rainfall, workforce shortages, low mm-hmm. prices, uh, the China trade war. I mean, you, you <laughs> name it. I know. Well, what, yeah, what, what did you hear? On. What did you hear? Well, yeah. One is, I think, some of the most compelling testimony was to, from two individual farmers, uh, uh, a dairy producer and also a uh, grain uh, uh, grain crop producer, and highlighting their stress and how this is going to be playing out. And basically, I think what was uh, brought through, through the testimony is saying you have the uh, the immediate concern was not going to plant uh, crops planted, and from the financial impact of that uh, immediate. However there is going to be a long-lasting effect from this, too, because uh, 
when the grains aren't planted or corn uh, planted, uh, what its uh, feed costs go up. And then if the crop did get planted, and you see a lot of things, you, know, you look at these fields and say, "Well, it's looking pretty green out there," but the uh, the yields won't be there, or the quality of the feeds are not going to be there. So from the dairy, uh, we had uh, the dairy producer. She was indicating, yeah. Uh, the protein factor it won't be there. When you don't have the protein factor to the feeds or the corn that uh, has the starch to ferment it when it's so silage, uh, that's not going to feed that to the cow. That's not going to produce milk. And that's very devastating to the dairy industry because, uh, you know, they, they get paid by the production. And then they have also been coming through five years of record low price. So an industry that's been devastated, I will assume, I feel free to use the term, has been in a state of depression in the uh, in the state of Michigan uh, for the last few years. Uh, this is just another major problem for them and another hurdle for them to jump over. And then along with that, the stress that occurs. And so that was even brought up by MSU. It's uh, extension and MSU highlighting uh, their work that they've been seeing as the high rate of uh, suicide among uh, farmers and uh, the stress that's uh, in the community. Because uh, remember, a lot of our farmers live in a uh, uh, rural community where a lot of accessibility to those services are limited, and uh, yeah, they might not be in uh, you know dialogue with others and don't know who to reach out for. There's financial concerns, but also the, the mental concerns too that uh, these producers are facing. Yeah. Uh, in addition to that, I think farmers' likelihood of suffering a fatal injury on the job is nearly seven times higher than that of all other civilian occupations combined. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, yep. you know, that doesn't talk about mental condition, but has this always been the case? Is it any higher today than it was previously or the, not? The the rate of the suicide has increased, uh, yes, and that's where the, uh, it's kind of alarming statistics that MSU had on that, and that's where we're looking at the state level. In fact, I uh, just had some district hours here uh, uh, before we went on the air and uh, was talking to somebody who brought that subject matter up. And uh, naturally, are working with like with the dairy industry, those who uh, come and pick up the milk and other suppliers or vendors that work with the dairy farmers, they're being educated, looking for telltale signs of uh, stress or things that uh, you know, and highlighting where you know where help could be seen. So it's basically having a team or collaborative effort, or let's just say a community effort, to help out uh, the farmers and producers in this time of stress. So, And also, you mentioned injury. Well, if you're stressed out and uh, not thinking clearly, you expose yourself, uh, you, some unsafe practices could occur, too. So it is a, uh, yeah, it's a very uh, level of concern for us, and that was brought forth to the committee hearing, hearing too, this week at Michigan State University. Now, you had quite an all-star lineup of people who testified, including a couple of former state legislators. Joel Johnson is mm-hmm. now the Michigan State Executive Director of the USDA Farm Service Agency. Gary McDowell, a uh, former state representative, is uh, now the Director of the Michigan Department of Agriculture and Rural Development uh, in, the mm-hmm. gener- uh, in the Gretchen Whitmer administration. You had... Uh, some people from uh, Michigan Department of Agriculture and Rural Development. You had uh, the dean of the MSU College of Natural Resources. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had uh, Farm Bureau people testifying, mm-hmm. uh, the Michigan Agribusiness Association. How many people do you think were there all together at this hearing? Yeah, I, I would say I, I'm going to put the number of 100 out there because uh, the, the MSU Pavilion where it's held is a large uh, uh, arena setting. And so uh, it, I, I might not have made 100, but uh, when I sat uh, at the table, 
looking across there, it was a uh, this was a what I believe was the largest uh, or the yeah the well, most well attended agriculture hearing we've had in Lansing in my duration. And wow! You know, in my seventh year, yeah. So, but, but then again, the uh, no hearing room <laughs> at the Capitol would uh. Uh, would offer that uh, large of a seating audience as what we had at MSU uh, at the pavilion. What about the uh, trade war with the Chinese that uh, President Donald Trump is immersed in right now? Was there much comment about that and what kind of impact the tariffs uh, may be having right now? That that does uh, affect us here in Michigan and uh, it affects us in different ways in some of the other states. Uh, One area here, uh, other states are a large exporter of corn and soybeans. Here in Michigan, we have a unique advantage that uh, we process it through our animal industry. Uh, we have a large uh, pork industry. We have a large dairy industry and livestock industry. Like here in Ottawa County, we have a number of uh, large turkey producers. So, but with that, uh, the, the trade embargo and those type things uh, with the hog industry, when we export about 25%, give or take, of our pork production in Michigan uh, to the Asian market. Now, the one thing is happening in China currently is uh, when it comes to the hog uh, industry is uh, African swine flu. So a lot of, might not be hearing a lot on the mainstream media, but that is devastating the uh, that industry in China for their pork production. And pork is their main protein source or their meat use in China. So it's giving the government a real. I mean, the government of uh, Xi there is having some real issues, and so as a so this trade war goes on, it puts them in an awkward position because they do need to secure uh, that protein meat for the growing appetite of the uh, Chinese population. So uh, with that, it uh, has helped the offset some of these tariffs in place, but yet, uh, you know, that pork can also be uh, secured from other countries. But one area, the United States, is one of, uh, one of the most efficient production countries of pork. So it is, uh, this is adding a unique area and you don't see, again, hear a lot about the mainstream media, but is it one of the issues that uh, when we're talking negotiating with trade with China, they do need our pork product. With the legalization of recreational marijuana, is there any chance Michigan could become a leader in the production of hemp? Well, yeah, so uh, that, you know, with that there, uh, the hemp was actually, the new farm bill came forward. So there's a marijuana issue and then there's the hemp issue. So there's two separate categories. Uh, we have been able to move with the clarification from the uh, under the new farm bill, uh, going with a pilot program at the state level for hemp production. That was brought up in the hearing. And I really do appreciate the department of MDAR. They have, uh, um, under Gary McDowell's uh, guidance, and it is, they have moved forward uh, with lightning speed um, with that new authorization from the federal level for hemp production and getting uh, that moved forward. So, uh, yes, uh, that does offer opportunity there, but also there's going to be some challenges because uh, other states have, uh, you know, are moving into the area. And what what's the best climate? But with our diversity of production here in Michigan, we offer some very unique climate uh, for it. And so I do believe there's certain uh, opportunity for us in hemp production here in the state of Michigan. That was Senator Roger Victory of Ottawa County. He is Mr. Agriculture, at least one of two or three, I would say. <laughs> In the Senate, uh, Senator Victory, thank you so much for being on The Political Insider and your insight into what happened at the hearing at Michigan State University this week. My pleasure, as always.